Welcome back to the Tank Me Later podcast. This is episode 11, where we'll be going through the NBA draft. Uh, But just as a reminder, before we start and get into it, if you can just like and subscribe, rate the podcast wherever you consume it. Follow me on Twitter at NoRuben22. You can interact with me and ask me Dynasty fantasy basketball questions. Uh, Just any fantasy question, just basketball questions. I'm here to talk about it all. And if you can also subscribe to my Substack to stay up to date with my columns as well as the podcast, uh, that'll be noahrubin.substack.com. It is very early, I guess you would say. You wouldn't say very late at this point that we're recording this podcast, but still plenty to break down. So we're going to get into it. As I said, it is bright and early here. It is 3.38 in the morning where I am at home uh, recording this podcast. I was planning to be done with everything by 3 a.m., but we're just getting started with this part a little bit later, but that's okay. Uh, still a lot to talk about with the with the draft. Uh, so many trades have also happened this week. Um, just for the fact that I want to get some sleep tonight, we're not going to go through every trade, but we will talk about the big one that happened uh, just on Thursday, a few hours before the draft. Obviously, Bradley Beal was traded to the Suns. Kristaps Porzingis was traded to Boston. Um, not going to really dive into those because I'm sure, I mean, I wrote a column about the Beal trade, so that's already been broken down. Um, and then with Porzingis and Marcus Smart going to Memphis and, Washington really, again, getting nothing for Porzingis like they did for Beal. Just a strange trade to me, um, but we won't go through the whole fantasy outlook other than I don't think it does too much negatively for Porzingis. His efficiency is going to go up and his volume is going to go down. Um, it's not like he was playing with a really good point guard. Now he's not. Like Either way, it's kind of fine. He's playing alongside some good scores. Marcus Smart, I think he's going to have a really good opportunity in Memphis early on, especially now that Tyus Jones is gone. John Morant will be suspended. Um, but I think once John Morant gets back, he could probably still start. But I think that's a pretty small starting lineup with Smart, Bain, and Ja. So that'll be pretty interesting to see. But I'm sure they'll have it figured out by then. But that'll also probably be about five months from now. So I'm sure they'll have time. And we'll have time to react as well. Actually, it might be more than might be closer to six months. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so the Chris Paul to the Warriors trade, first of all, never thought that Chris Paul would be playing for Steve Kerr alongside Steph Curry. Just such a strange thing to think about when you consider their battles when uh, CP3 is in Houston with James Harden. You know, the first thing that came to my mind was the gif of Steve Kerr telling a joke, kind of trying to get Chris Paul to laugh on the sideline, heading to a timeout, and Chris Paul gave him the sarcastic smile and then straight face immediately after. First thing that came to my mind, I'm sure that won't actually impact anything um, as they're trying to operate the team. But uh, interesting fit with Chris Paul being more of a slower pace type of player, um, you know, running pick and roll and, trying to find 
guys to hit for open shots. Whereas the Warriors are team ball movement, you know, you're not holding it for too long or dribbling around a ton. So I think it gives the Warriors another element that'll be very interesting. I mean, you can have Chris Paul operating a pick and roll with, say, Draymond. And then you have Steph and Clay on either side, perhaps Wiggins as well. In certain lineups, obviously, they'll have Kavon Looney in there. But, you know, Chris Paul being able to operate out of a pick and roll and then hit either, you know, one, two of the greatest shooters of all time or hit Draymond on a short roll. or I think that they'll be able to figure out. I'm not too concerned about that. I don't think – I can't imagine they start Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson, but I also can't imagine Chris Paul coming off the bench. So it's really, really strange. So we'll see uh, – We'll see what they end up deciding to do, but I don't think it – I think Chris Paul is going to be helpful there. I don't think – I think he's going to have the worst fantasy season fantasy season of his career, and that's not necessarily like an indictment on him. He's 38, and his worst fantasy season was 33rd – finishing 33rd in nine cat, according to Basketball Monsters. So if he's still – he could still be inside the top 100. I mean, he could have – 12 points a game, six or seven assists per game off the bench. I could see it. Low turnover numbers, maybe a steal, steal and a half. Like, probably closer to a steal. Maybe I'm being unrealistic, but I still think he can be a solid player. But, I mean, he's just not going to be what he was. But I think his value is tanked so low at this point in the eyes of most people that nobody's going to be expecting a top 100 season from him. But I still think he's capable of it. Um, I don't think it really hurts anybody on the Warriors too much. And maybe it takes away an assist or two a, a game from Steph, maybe one from Draymond, but Chris Paul hasn't been healthy consistently. So the past few seasons, I mean, as I said, he's aging and he's a small point guard. So there's going to be times uh, where he's out and they're just playing normal Warriors basketball. But then again, nobody in the Warriors has been the epitome of health aside from Kevon Looney and Jordan Poole, who's now in Washington. So a bunch of old guys just trying to play 50 games in the regular season and being a competitive team in the playoffs. I mean, I don't mind it. What I find interesting is that as soon as Bob Myers is gone, they make a horrible value trade. I, I can't imagine actually considering Chris Paul to have more trade value at this point than Jordan Poole, not because Chris Paul is bad or was bad last season, but Jordan Poole is young. He's, I don't know off the top of my head. He's probably like, 13, 14 years younger than Chris Paul. Um, and he had a good season last year. He averaged 20 points per game. I know, he, you know, when he came off the bench, he wasn't as good as when he started. Um, now he's going to get the chance to start. So I think it's an excellent move for his career. They were going to have to move him at some point if they were going to try and extend this title window around Steph Clay and Draymond. So I don't mind them trading him here. Uh, especially because, like I said, he was really good as a starter, but he wasn't going to start consistently. Like that just wasn't going to be the case unless people were out. And if you're going to pay him to be a 82 game starter when he's only starting 30 games because it's only when Steph or Clay is out, it's a bit of an overpay. But in Washington, he's going to be the face of the franchise next season. I mean, they're going to have other guys. Uh, you know, they traded brought in Tyus Jones. They have, gosh, Corey Kisper, Denny Avdia. Uh, they just drafted Bilal Koulibaly. 
Johnny Davis is who they drafted last year. Like they have other young guys, but none of them have done anything. Like they're either too young, haven't really got the chance, or they've just been average in the NBA so far. Jordan Poole has shown that he can play at a high level, so and he's going to get the chance to do whatever the heck he wants because at this point, Washington is finally all in on a tank. And if Jordan Poole is filling up seats by dropping 30 a game and they still have good lottery odds, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining. And I don't think Jordan Poole, even if he's able to put up big scoring numbers, is going to be good enough to carry them anywhere close to the play-in tournament. So if they're able to play him for 50 games, oh no, he like twisted his ankle a little bit. Uh, he's done the last two months. It could happen. We'll see how hard Washington tanks. I mean, we saw them do it down the stretch this past season, but that was when they were close to a play-in, so they were trying to help their lottery odds a little bit. We'll see if they start tanking a bit earlier next season, but I think Jordan Poole is going to be a great option next year and well into the future. Um, now that he's not having to try and take minutes and take possessions from Steph Curry. And I don't think Washington's going to ever have a guard as long as Jordan, as long as Jordan Poole is on their roster, they're not going to have a guard as good as Steph Curry on their roster. So Jordan Poole should have free reign to do what he wants. It wouldn't, I've seen multiple people today or yesterday already say, I wouldn't be shocked to see Jordan Poole lead the league in scoring. And I think it's a bit of an exaggeration, but also it's not because he doesn't seem to have any sort of conscious about shooting, which is great for shooters. But I mean, he averaged 20 points a game last year as a sixth man. I, I could definitely see him averaging north of 25 points per game. He'll be the point guard. I could see him averaging six, maybe seven assists per game, depending on how much he wants to do that. A ton of threes. He's going to be a really good fantasy player. Probably some low volume shooting or low percentage shooting, high volume, high volume shooting. But I, he can be a really good fantasy player next season and just a really good player. Could he approach being an all-star? I could see it. I think that Washington being bad is going to impact that a little bit, but I think he's a really good fantasy option next year. Wouldn't be shocked if he's going fourth or fifth round of redraft leagues. Uh, potentially earlier, depending on how big a fans people are. But I think after this past season, expectations are tempered a little bit just because of, I guess, the narrative around his season as opposed to the actual numbers. Like the efficiency wasn't slash isn't and never will be great. But, you know, solid player. So he'll have free reign to do whatever he wants. I think he's going to do it. So, Big numbers coming up for Jordan Poole. Solid trade for the Wizards there because ha, I don't understand how you get the guy that's 13 years younger. I know the picks are like way later in the future and heavy protected, but like the fact that they had to give up, the Warriors had to give up draft compensation to get Chris Paul at this stage of his career and give up Jordan Poole didn't seem right to me, but it happened. So I guess we just got to analyze it and roll with it uh the wizards made two strange trades before so i guess it's good to see them win one um but yeah so we won't get into the other trades much more as i said but we may talk about them as we go through the draft um just gonna kind of go pick by pick early on 
not super in detail, but just general thoughts. Obviously, I'm just not going to go in depth on Wemby because there's no reason to. Everybody knows how good he is. He's going first in every uh, rookie draft. I guess if you're listening to this and kind of curious about dynasty startups, I'd take him third, possibly second. Um, Jokic first, and then either Luca or Wemby next. Um, I'm going to have top 200 dynasty rankings with all the rookies coming out, I believe on Monday, and you will see Wemby as third, but I would definitely consider putting him at second if I was doing a startup, um, just because he's that type of talent. Um, and then, you know, rookie drafts will go first every single one, um, and then redraft leagues. I probably wouldn't take him super early, maybe like third round, which just is me saying I don't expect to have him in any leagues next season, um, any redraft leagues, just because I know someone's going to take him earlier than that. Obviously, there have been rookies such as Steph and Cat that have had incredible rookie seasons for fantasy, like first round finishes, but those are rare, even with tremendous you know, generational talents, it's rare. Um, And who knows, you know, the Spurs are not going to be good next year. So if they're not playing for anything in March, they may sit him towards the end. Hopefully your fantasy playoffs are wrapping up around then, but there's a chance he misses games here and there um, just because they're going to manage his health. He's seven foot five and skinny. They, I don't care how much he's put into his body. The, they're not going to stop just because he's made it to the NBA. They're going to be more cautious now that there's an investment for the Spurs. So just tempering my expectations for his rookie season. Um, I don't think, I think that the idea that he's going to come into the league and immediately average 25 points, 12 rebounds and four blocks is absurd, but it could happen a few years down the road and he's still going to be incredible as a rookie. I just think that, you know, it's going, some people are, you know, oh, you know, Euro league is so much harder to score than the NBA. And he averaged whatever he averaged there. Like he could average more. He could. And then there's, you know, probably some people that are not expecting him to come in and just immediately dominate. I think that he'll show it in flashes, but there will still be things he has to work through uh, as he adjusts to the NBA and just being one of the biggest names in in basketball. I mean, he already is, and now actually playing it out, it'll be a little different. So I wouldn't be shocked if he only played 50 to 60 games, even if he's able to stay healthy. I know the expectation for some people might be that he's tall and skinny, and we saw Chet Holmgren get hurt and other tall, skinny people get hurt. And I think he will deal with minor injuries, but – I don't foresee him, you know, suffering. I mean, fingers crossed it's not like a major injury that he suffers, but I could definitely see them being very, very cautious. If he twists an ankle and says, oh, I'm fine, they might just say, hey, we're not making the playoffs this year. Just sit and ice. We we need you in two years. We don't need you for a random regular season game in February. We just don't. So, Tempering my expectations a little bit there, but still he's going to be arguably the greatest 
fantasy player of all time. I don't want to say he's going to be the GOAT because, like, for basketball, but he has the talent and has everything you need. I don't know if you've, if you haven't listened to, not that anybody is going to be listening to this podcast religiously and not listening or haven't heard of JJ Reddick's podcast, but uh, the interview that Victor Wemanyama did on there uh, earlier this week was phenomenal. It made me even more excited about what he can do in the NBA. Um, he's a lock. Cool. Next one, Brandon Miller to the Hornets. I was like, I was really hoping it was all smoke and that they were just going to do the right thing and go with Scoot, but they didn't. They took Brandon Miller for quote unquote fit. They uh, said Michael Jordan was going to make the pick. And then I was like, oh, okay, so MJ's making it. And Brandon Miller is going to go out and say that LeBron's his, LeBron is the GOAT. Paul George is his GOAT. Didn't say a single thing about Michael Jordan. I was like, I could see MJ taking that a little personally and and not uh, not wanting to draft Brandon Miller. But that's not what ended up happening, obviously. I, I get the argument for fit. I think I may have talked about this on this podcast before. I get the argument for fit. I do not think the Hornets are good enough to go for fit. You wouldn't be picking second if you were good enough to just be able to draft for fit. I know they have talented veterans on the roster. They missed a lot of games from LaMelo last season. They have Terry Rozier. They have Kelly Oubre. They have Gordon Hayward. They have Mark Williams is very, very good. They could bring back Miles Bridges. We'll see exactly what happens there. Like they have the talent to be a good team, but even you know, before they added Brandon Miller, they were they made the play and it got blown out the two times in a row that they made it. And now they don't have Caleb Martin anymore, so who knows what would even happen or if they can even get back there. But there is Brandon Miller, like I feel like I don't think he's a bad prospect. I think he's going to be a good player. I just don't think he's number two overall worthy, especially especially in this class. But even then, talented shooter, like bare minimum. If he's just ends up being like a solid scorer, but like a really good shooter, like he'll help them. I just think that they passed up on the generational talent in, in Scoot Henderson. But I mean, Brandon Miller has the upside to be a generation, not a generational score, but a very, very talented scorer in the NBA. So we'll see if, if that's able to happen. I don't know. I'm, not super high on him and this situation, I think, I don't know, for some reason, it's not anything I can base it off of or it, just take it with a grain of salt. Just ignore me, honestly, if you want to. I just personally, am, I'm not a believer in Brandon Miller. I am a believer in Scoot Henderson. Everything that you, know, you read um, and then all the film on him, the, the highlights, the athleticism, the the passing, the shot creation for himself, the narratives about him, you know, even though he probably understood he wasn't going to go one over Victor Wembanyama, he also said, like, I'm not satisfied with being number two. And then he goes number three. So, you know, I'm sure that's going to be an added chip to his shoulder, but fits in, you know, he's going to be playing with Damian Lillard. I'm not sure we'll see what moves Portland makes because now there's reports saying that they haven't really been in contact with Dame about anything. So he may say, listen, like I get it. I just don't want to be part of a rebuild. They may 
so they may trade him and just full on rebuild. They may trade Anthony Simons to give Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp more minutes and bring in maybe a better forward. I don't know exactly what their plan is, but we should figure it out over the next few weeks. I did see Dame isn't eligible to be traded until July 9th. So it probably, it probably is going to give them, Hey, a week and a half, I guess it'd be nine days after free agency opens and then we'll figure it out. If it's not good enough, I do want to be traded. So we'll see. I wouldn't be shocked if Scoot Henderson was starting regardless whether Dame is there or not, whether it's the fact that they traded Dame or they've traded Anthony Simons. Scoot Scoot should be a starter. If not this season, then definitely by the next season. For Dynasty, he's the second best asset um, for rookie drafts. I'd still have him. I don't have all of my rankings done yet as far as, especially with the rookies, but I do know Scoot is a top 25, like without a doubt, talent. Obviously, the situation in Charlotte would have been more profitable for his rookie season, but I'm not too worried about the fact that he's in Portland. I'm not concerned that much that Dame is going to take away from him because I think it'll just help him for a year or two. And, you know, Dame's not going to be around forever. I can't imagine unless they're able to build a really, really good contender around him coming into this season, Dame feels good about it and they make a deep playoff run or, you know, do the unthinkable and actually win a championship. Like I can't see a possibility or a scenario in which they're able to pull off the moves to make that happen. But, you know, as, as long as you get in the playoffs and you can get hot and make a run, we just saw the heat make it to the championship. So can't not going to say like never say never, but I find it un, incredibly unlikely, highly unlikely. So I feel like they'd have to make it to at least the second round, maybe even to the conference finals for Dame to feel confident about staying again. So within two years, Scoot's the full-time starter without a doubt in my mind. And he's going to, tear up the league. Um, then we had Amen Thompson and Alsar, Alsar, Asor Thompson, excuse me. I was trying to remember. Uh, go back to back to uh, Houston and to Detroit. I love the fit in Houston with Amen, uh, true point guard, incredibly athletic backcourt with him and Jalen Green. You know, they have so many young, lottery, talented players. I'll go ahead and add in the Cam Whitmore thing now just because, I mean, I'm not going to wait till we get down to 20. I'll just talk about them while we're talking about Houston. The fact they were at, able to add a top five talent in this draft at pick number 20 is insane. I don't, every mock had him going fifth until there was reports that Detroit's meeting or interview didn't go well with him. Not sure exactly what the reasoning was that Detroit didn't want him. Um, I thought he fit well, so maybe it was something with the interviews. Maybe it was something medical. Not sure exactly what caused him. I guess I can understand him slipping a few spots because I had him. My bold take that I was telling people was that he was going to slip to eight or eight to ten range, and I was like, I can't imagine him slipping past that. And then he went all the way to twenty. So Houston got incredible value. They were trying to trade up seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Didn't work out, but. Cam Whitmore was still there, which is pretty crazy. Um, so they added two guys that if a week or two ago, like we're both supposed to go top five. So apparently they were considering Whitmore at four as well, but the fact they were able to nap him at 20 is insane. And now they're just 
incredibly athletic player, like thinking about the perimeter with Amen, Jalen Green, and Cam Whitmore, assuming that Cam Whitmore is fully healthy. I mean, he said uh, when he was getting introduced, I guess people were like media was asking about his injury history, like why he could have slid. He said, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what they think or like what they, uh, I guess, read or saw. I talking about teams just saying like I'm healthy. It's my body. Like I'm healthy. So the way he worded it made me think, okay, maybe there was something that people saw that was a bit concerning, but I think we've seen instances of teams doing that and it's still working out just fine. I mean, we saw the Clippers doctor that said Michael Porter jr. This guy's not going to play basketball. Like he's not going to be healthy enough. And yes, he's had his fair share of injuries early on, but he just won a ring and he's been very good. So I, could see it working out tremendously well for Houston. They have all this lottery talent. Now they just have to figure out how to make it work. I would have said Tari Eason was a lock to be a starter within a year or two, but now I'm not sure because of Cam Whitmore. So they have a good problem, and that's too much lottery talent, but now they have to figure it all out. Um, and then at five, Asura Thompson to Detroit. I wasn't sure about that fit, but I think I'm talking myself into it more and more because I was like, okay, I, they already have two guards in Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Do they really want to add another guard? But really, if you look at it with three playmakers that are, I mean, I think Jaden Ivey is like 6'4", Asura Thompson's like 6'5", and then Cade Cunningham's like 6'7", 6'8". So if you're looking at defensively, okay, that'll work out fine. Cade could get the traditional three. So it's not like they're going to be too small, even though they have three quote unquote guards. And you have three guys that are really good playmakers. And I think the only question would be how much shooting do they really have there? But they have Bogdanovich at least this year to help them out in that department. I think that if that ends up being an issue then they can figure that out later by adding shooting in other areas. But when you have three guys that dynamic, you just find a way to make it work. Um, Orlando took Anthony Black. This was another one that I had questions questions about, and I think I'm still sticking with them. Not because I don't like Anthony Black. I think he's a tremendous talent, uh, one of, if not the best defender in the draft. And I think he's going to be very good in Orlando. I just question because they had Markel Fultz at point guard last year, and the issue was spacing, and Markel Fultz can't shoot. Anthony Black is not a good shooter. He's a good playmaker, good passer. He's good to get into the basket. He's aggressive. He can play tremendous defense, but he's not much of a shooter. So they needed to add some shooting, which they did with their second lottery pick in Jet Howard, which I didn't love that pick either. But, you know, will that work out okay? We'll see. But if you have a lineup, Franz Wagner is, you know, a solid shooter. He's not like a, a great shooter. But it, let's say you keep Fultz at point guard, then you have Anthony Black, Franz Wagner, you have Paolo Bancaro, who, again, below average shooter as a rookie, and then you have Wendell Carter. Is Wendell Carter the best three-point shooter in that lineup? Maybe. Maybe second best behind Franz Wagner. I don't know numbers off the top of my head, but you're not really having much of a shooting threat in that lineup, which is kind of hard to do in today's NBA. I know Orlando's kind of letting everybody else zig and they zag while everybody else is going small, getting shooting. They have decided that they're going to try and go all in on just tall guys. I mean, tall playmakers granted, but 
we'll see if they're able to they have enough lottery talent i'm pretty sure they have 11 guys that were lottery picks on their team so they have the talent to make it happen we'll see if they're able to actually do it um and then with with jet howard i think he's going to be a good shooter i think he's going to be a microwave scorer i don't see him as being more than a a taller cole anthony is actually a really good way to put it i think now that i'm thinking about it a taller cole anthony so they already have cole anthony now they have another one i maybe he's younger has upside to be a little bit more defensively but i felt like with grady dick there there could have been he they could have gone with him i guess i feel more confident but confident about him as an overall player than i do about jet howard but I mean, I still think he's going to be able to be fine and be able to provide some shooting there. Um, Washington traded up one spot and got Bilal Koulibaly, who was kind of a late riser. I think he just kind of like worked out well, did good in those camps before the draft. And, you know, teammates with Wemby, if Wemby says, oh, a lot of people are figuring out that he's a first rounder now, but y'all don't know he's actually top five. And then he goes seventh. Washington traded up. I think if I could have made a bet, I would have bet everything I own on the fact that the Pacers were going to draft one of Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks. They needed a power forward. They literally did not have one on the roster. They had plenty of guys shorter than six foot seven or taller than six foot ten, and nobody in between. They were going to take one of those two. So the fact that I know it's just like two second round picks, but the fact that Washington had to give up two second round picks, which was, you know, a third of their haul from the Bradley Beal trade, just to move up one spot to get a guy that we know the Pacers weren't going to take. I mean, the Wizards have gone one for four with their trades, but they got their guy. And honestly, I haven't done a ton of research trying to figure out. Koulibaly and like what type of talent he'll be, but going seventh this is a really good opportunity. Like we said, barren roster, plenty of guys who are former lottery picks trying to prove themselves. He'll get a ton of opportunity as a rookie. Um, Jairus Walker, I think, like I just said, they don't, the Pacers don't have another power forward on their roster. He's going to play 32 to 36 minutes per game as a rookie. I think there's a very good chance that he is first team all rookie. I think that if this was a normal year, not a Wemby year, he could be in con- – like if it was last year and he had this opportunity, he would have been in consideration for Rookie of the Year, I believe, based on his talent and the opportunity. Um, not because I think he's going to be better than Paolo Bencaro was this past year. I don't think that. But I think based on his opportunity, he'll have the chance to put up the numbers required to be in that conversation. And – you know, just a good talent, and I think a good pick by the Pacers for their long-term, like, future. He could be really good at that position. So, um, and then the other power four, they could have taken Taylor Hendricks went nine. I didn't – I really like Taylor Hendricks as a talent. I didn't love the fact that the Jazz took him because they have Walker Kessler and Laurie Markinen down low already, which I know that Markinen has become more of a three, and I – I get now they have three tall guys in their front court. I just think they had more of a need at guard. 
but they were able to address that later uh, by getting Keontae Johnson, I believe. Keontae, excuse me, Keontae George at pick 16, and they got Bryce Sensible at pick 28. Three excellent picks, three borderline lottery talents. I think I've seen, obviously, um, Taylor Hendricks, but as well as Keontae George and Bryce Sensible, I've seen them, had them mocked lottery or borderline lottery. So the fact they're able to get all three, it's great. Keontae George is going to be a very good scorer. And Bryce Sensible kind of in the same boat, I think maybe ends up being more of a shooter, but NBA ready scorers, we'll see if they can do enough other things to be on the court a ton. But with the Jazz's lack of talent at guard and at the two guard spots, really the three perimeters, well, two guard spots, not that Jordan Clarkson's good, Colin Sexton's good, but I think that there's a lot of minutes to go around that if those guys pan out, they'll be able to fill. Um, I said this in one of my Substack articles this week. Casey Wallace was my guy coming into the draft. I, I thought of him. I was like, for some reason, it might just be strictly vibes based. But Casey Wallace was like, that that's the guy that I'm going to reach for in fantasy drafts. And now that changes because he's playing behind. Shea Gilgis Alexander and Josh Giddy. Like, why would they trade up to do that to get a backup point guard? Especially when they have two guys that are practically point guards. I know they kind of play off each other a little bit. SGA may do a little bit more scoring than playmaking, but Casey will also come in. He's going to play really good defense. He's a catch and shoot threat. He's got a nice floater, just a, a winner. And I think that's, I mean, that's why you trade up for a guy like that. I just think I'm I'm a mad, selfish fantasy manager that wanted him in Utah or somewhere he could have started and played big minutes and just got an opportunity to put up numbers or as a Hawks fan, had him in Atlanta. So I'm, I'm mad that I didn't get either of those. So great talent. Don't love the situation. Um, Dallas traded back from that because I skipped pick 11 because we already talked about Jet Howard. And they traded back, got off the Davis-Bertans contract, which was is, is awful. Created this, created some uh, cap space. I believe it was like just a mid-level exception or whatever the amount it was. Drafted Derek Lively. They could have gotten a 10, but they traded back, still got him. And then used that money to trade to Sacramento for Rashawn Holmes, and then also got Olivier Maxence Prosper. So excellent job by Dallas, which is surprising. They usually haven't made it. They haven't made a ton of good moves recently. A lot of their moves haven't have been bad. But Derek Lively is going to have a chance to start. The centers on the active roster right now are Rashawn Holmes, who they just traded for, and JaVale McGee, who was a rotational piece 10 years ago. He wasn't a rotational piece this past season, aside from a few minutes here and there every few games. Derek Lively is going to have a chance to start and play 25 minutes as a rookie. And it's a lazy comparison, but we just saw what Walker Kessler did as as a rookie. And I think his Derek Lively's block percentages in college were not close to Walker Kessler's because his were – insane 
but it was better than most other dominant rookie bigs recently from their last year of college. So I think we could see him play 25 minutes per game and get to around two blocks per game, which he's not a great rebounder. He showcased a little bit of a shot during workouts, but we'll see if they actually even let him shoot threes. We have no idea yet. We'll have to see during training camp, but off the shot blocking alone, he holds a lot of dynasty value and a lot of redraft value um, in comparison to other rookies. And then I mentioned, I mean, Rashawn Holmes should still should get a chance to be back to being a rotational piece. He was really good a couple of seasons ago for Sacramento. Obviously they have some bonus now. Um, and then, so we'll keep moving. Grady Dick, I think is really iffy because we don't know what Toronto is going to do yet. We, you know, there was, talk of them trading Siakam. We don't know if Fred Van Vliet's coming back. There was talk of them trading OG. Now there's rumors saying Siakam probably wants to stay with Toronto and wouldn't necessarily sign an extension with whoever trades for him, which probably makes teams hesitant. So we don't know if they decide to rebuild, which, you know, maybe this is just a toxic trait of mine, but I think rebuilding the at the first chance you kind of think maybe we should rebuild and just doing it always works out the best. I know it's easier said than done because I'm just a guy at home and generally it's with a fantasy team. So I don't actually have to interact with any players and tell them I'm trading them, which I'm sure that's probably one of the hardest parts of the business is interacting and developing relationships with players for years and then trading them at the drop of a hat. But I think if it was strictly business and ever and then that's the best strategy to do. I think this is a great time for Toronto to do so. They've tried to extend their window in the past few seasons. They fielded a competitive team, but it's just not the same when you don't have Kawhi Leonard there. Even if they did have great defensive philosophy and a talented team, uh, they were just missing something. And that something was one of the most talented two-way small forwards of all time. But, hey, many teams are just that away from winning a championship. So, uh, But I think if they choose to rebuild, Grady Dick can be a really good option in fantasy. If they try and run it back, I think he can be a really good option for them, but it obviously limits his fantasy upside. So we'll know more about that over the next few weeks. But I still think he's very good as a talent. So in Dynasty, I would still be buying in on him regardless of the situation uh, just because within a few years, I would assume that it doesn't really matter who's alongside of him. He's a starter. Uh, Pelicans added Jordan Hawkins, good shooter, good scorer, and a winner. He has a ring. I think that that helps, you know, even if it's not something that's shown in, in fantasy, I think, uh, I don't know. It ends up helping. It helps team culture. It helps him stay on the floor. He knows how to win. So, adding winning guys like that to a team's culture that's been, I don't know, iffy. They have so much talent. And for a second there, after they had a really, really, really bad start, like I don't remember if it was, I think it was two years ago when they started like one and something or oh and something. And like one of the worst starts to a coaching career for Willie Green. Then they turned it around. I guess that would have been not this past season, the season before. Wow. It feels like much, much longer ago, but turn it around, make the playoffs, losing six to the Suns in the first round. Very, very bright future. They didn't even have Zion. 
Now they come back this season, miss the play-in again, pretty much don't have Zion. A lot of questions around his future. Talks of them trading up for Scoot. Um, you know, they have CJ McCollum, they have Trey Murphy, they have Herb Jones, they have Valentunas, they have Jose Alvarado. They like they have so many guys. They have Dyson Daniels, couldn't even get rotational minutes last season after being the number eight overall pick. They have so much talent. Um, I think that going less for the high upside player and going more for like a win now guy, smart decision, but Hawkins obviously still does have upside. Um, I was pissed at the Hawks as a fan that they didn't take Cam Whitmore. Uh, But after I got over that, Kobe Bufkin is a very good talent. Um, Rose quickly over the second half of the past season for the past college season uh, really was Michigan's kind of, their best player down the stretch. I think part of that was Jet Howard dealing with an injury, but uh, he showed a lot. And I think, you know, he he developed a lot from year one to year two. And I think a lot of times it's overvalued somebody being younger, but I think it's also, it shows a lot that he came in, wasn't very good as a freshman and worked hard and became very good. I think we see that with a lot of other prospects as well. So getting him at 15, I think is good value for the Hawks and they, have another playmaker. Like they have Trey, they have DeShante. But if you're looking, who's their third best playmaker after that? Is it, was it Bogey? Was it Jalen Johnson? So they have somebody else to, you know, be a bit of a playmaker. Obviously you're probably going to have DeShante or Trey on the floor at all times, but having more playmakers is a good thing. So I like him as a talent. I like having him as a Hawks fan. Um, We'll skip around a, a little bit, but um, I already talked about Keontae George. I really like Jalen Hood Shafino as a talent. I think, you know, the Lakers, D'Lo is a free agent. Schroeder's a free agent. I'd imagine Schroeder's back. I doubt D'Lo's back. Uh, Hood Shafino could start as a rookie or at least play big minutes. I like his talent to be, you know, he's a good creator, uh, really good out of the pick and roll, but he's also a taller guard, could be a solid rebounder as well. Um, he took Jamie, I'm a, Jamie Jacquez, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, who was a good scorer and good rebounder. He's an older player, but honestly, the more I thought about it after they picked him, I was like, that's such a Miami Heat pick. Like, I can't believe that nobody saw that before and they had him going second round. Like, he's such a Heat pick. So, I mean, he'll fit Heat culture just fine. Um, the Nets took... Two guys, two freshmen, Noah Clowney, Derek Whitehead. Clowney is kind of a late bloomer. I think he was 99th, according to 247 Sports uh, in high school rankings. Cutting into this past season with Alabama, he's obviously he hasn't been like overlooked his whole life because he was still a top 100 player. But I think in his mind, I think that's something he said, he's been overlooked. So he always felt he was this good. Nobody ever gave him that credit, but now he's proving it. Um so I would believe in him to continue to prove it. Like he said, he wants to win defensive player of the year. I think it's hard to project that as rookies for most people. Obviously, a guy like Wembenyama, you can probably, oh yeah, I think he'll win a defensive player of the year because he's seven foot five and is going to block three shots a game. But I think it's harder to project a guy going later in the first to do that. But heck, if he says that, I might believe it a little bit. Uh, and then Derek Whitehead obviously had. Uh, two foot surgeries, so that kind of tanked his value a little bit. Um, but I think it's worth taking a shot for Brooklyn. 
Uh, they're looking for a superstar. Mikael Bridges is the star. They have other really solid players, but if you can take a chance to get a superstar or take a chance to get a star, I mean, he was the number one uh, high school recruit for some outlets, number three for 247 sports. So worth taking, uh, worth taking a risk on. I don't know. Um, the Pacers shocked me a little bit by taking Ben Shepard. I thought they were going to try and get more forwards, I guess. Or I don't know. I think he's a really good player. I just expect them to go more second round. Uh, but I think he'll be good for them. He's a good shooter. Uh, their second GAC player uh, that they've had on their roster recently is Malcolm Brogdon from GAC as well. It's Greater Atlanta Christian in Norcross, Georgia. Uh, I just say that because I'm not far from that's not far from where I grew up. So I'm going to plug that little hometown bias where I can. Um, Nick Smith Jr. I think was projected to be a lottery talent. He was the number one high school player on 247 sports. Obviously didn't have a great season, had injuries, slipped a lot. Um, so, but going to Charlotte, I don't love the situation for him, but it's not, I mean, you just, it gives him a chance. They're not going to be, I don't think they'll be very good, but even if he is as talented as he was ranked to be in high school, um, it's going to be hard for him to get minutes over LaMelo and with those other guys there. So we'll see if he's, uh, I don't know, able to pan out. I Solid talent. I just don't know how great the situation is. We'll see if the talent just shines through. Uh, so that was the majority of the first round um, you know, the, the couple highlights from the second round, uh, Trace Jackson Davis slipped to 57, almost to the end of the draft. The Warriors ended up getting him. Um, I don't know how they locked into another talent like that. I think he should have been late first, arguably, or at least early second. So the fact they got him second to last pick of the draft, he was tweeting saying like, you guys are basically going to regret passing on me and then it's the freaking warriors that end up with him so kudos to them but i don't know a little jealous it's a little bit at least um let's try and get a few others uh Cavs took amani bates you know if you would ask me three years four years ago i would have said yeah no he's going number one whenever he gets drafted but obviously that wasn't the case um, for a number of reasons. So I think it's worth taking a stab on for them because they had to deal with, not deal with, but they, you know, try to start Isaac Okoro and it's like, okay, he can't do anything on offense. So he's kind of ruining our offense. And then it was Karis LeVert. It's like, okay, he's not great off the ball. He needs the ball in his hands a little bit. We have Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and he's not as good defensively. And then, but also if we start him, then who's our depth. So, Maybe Imani Bates pans out as a really good microwave scorer off the bench. And if that's what he is, they will gladly take it. Because I feel like outside of Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, and I guess Levert, they really lack offensive playmakers. So if they're able to get a guy that can create his own shot a little bit, let's take a shot. Um, James Najee is probably another guy that I would consider a little bit more of a sleeper in Dynasty. I don't love the situation with Mark Williams. Excuse me. He is going there, right? Yes, I believe he is. Um, let me just double check that because I feel like for some reason. Yes, he is. Okay. 
Sorry. Just wanted to double check. Um, don't love the situation with Mark Williams, but I think the talent's too good to just pass over just because of the situation. And I feel like there's there's quite a few guys like that. Um, I like Jordan Walsh. Uh, obviously, he's not going to see much of a role with Boston early, but I think if you give him a couple of years, he can pan out. Um, I don't know if this is just the fact that this is the first draft class that I've really dove into heading into it um, for work, but I thought this was an incredibly deep class, incredibly talented class, lots of fantasy upside here. Um, I don't think anybody is too, too limited by their situation, especially in Dynasty. But if you're trying to look three, four years down the road, always got to look at talent over situation. Um, if you believe in the talent, I don't care what the situation is. Just go for it. Um, as much as I'd love to sit here and continue to talk about the draft, because there is plenty more to talk about. I only talked about the majority of the first round, a couple second rounders, um, as well as the other trades. As much as I'd love to do that, I am falling asleep while talking about all this. So I'm going to go ahead and say that that will do it uh, for episode 11 of the Tank Me Later podcast, where we broke down uh, the NBA draft. Um, be sure to check out uh, me and Zach Hanch, who did a draft grades column for NBC. Uh, be able, be sure to check that out. I will also tweet it out. Um, if you subscribe to my Substack, you'll get an email with the link because I will send that there uh, as well as this podcast. Um, so, but yeah, as I said at the beginning, like and subscribe, rate, share. Uh, what other things could you do? Follow, you could follow. Um, but yeah, all of those things for the podcast, Substack, and Twitter. Um, and that's going to do it for episode 11 of the Tank Me Later podcast. <laughs>